Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is a little bit of unhappiness around Dog Nation here today, and some of it stems from, actually most of it, all of it, if you will, stems from a little bit of a controversial take via pro football focus about where Georgia quarterback JT Daniels ranks on the list for the upcoming season. In fact, many of you have reached out to me about this. Let me show you the, the tweet from Pro Football Focus that kind of gets this started, and then we'll kind of roll into this after that. Here's Pro Football Focus listing. It's top three SEC quarterbacks per one of its writers, Anthony Treach. Uh, Matt Corral is listed there. We've talked a lot about Corral here uh, so far this offseason. There is genuinely some buzz around uh, Corral. Some of this has been on SEC Country Live, and we've obviously paid attention to that. And then you've got Miles Brennan from LSU. And then I think this is the thing that I think fires up some folks. You see, according to Pro Football Focus, Emory Jones there getting the third panel on the tweet as the top three quarterbacks in the SEC. I had a Georgia fan reach out to me. Not happy about that whatsoever. Uh, I'll show you what he uh, sent to me here on Twitter. Very, very uh, critical of, of all of that. I think we have that. We can show that. Uh, the response from the uh, Georgia fan to the pro football focused tweet he says this is an awful take by pff hard to take these clowns seriously now they must be taking lessons from dan mullen he gives you a little bit of a frowning emoji that's a j riles nine on twitter weighing in to say that and i guess if you're a georgia fan who's kind of bothered by all of this i guess the one thing that you can take some comfort in is the fact that of the three quarterbacks that pro football focus just listed on that tweet as the top sec quarterbacks of the upcoming season i am fairly certain based on just the preseason chatter that I try to follow, that Miles Brennan is not even going to start at quarterback for LSU. So the idea that he's one of the three best quarterbacks in the SEC when he is no better than second best quarterback on his own roster, I'm assuming that Max Johnson is the starter at LSU. I think a lot of LSU fans do there as well. So the idea that Brennan, third best, second best quarterback in the SEC when he's you know second best quarterback in his own roster, that might be a little bit of a problem. I guess all in all is uh, JT Daniels actually listed as the 23rd best quarterback in all of college football for the upcoming season once again uh by pro football focus and for a lot of georgia fans they feel like they have seen better than that from daniels in his time as georgia quarterback but let's take this seriously just for a moment now you say well i don't want to take it seriously i don't think it's true and, and you have every right not to think it's true but but let's let, let's just use this as the basis for a conversation a little bit because i think the one thing that we have identified on this show before is while we have experienced tr- tremendous growth for jt daniels and a lot of this has been health growth remember when he first arrives on campus he clearly wasn't healthy enough to play because he didn't play even that florida game you know kind of there in the month of october i guess you know kind of or maybe it was november I guess this past year in that month of November, um, you know, still not quite ready to play then. But finally, the following game was able to jump out there. And all, all of a sudden you see him putting up some pretty big numbers. And then there's an off season of having had a chance to work with Todd Munkin even more and what he was able to show during spring practice, some of what he showed there during uh, G-Day, that clearly there has been this this maturation for for Daniels, both on the field and with his health and everything else. In fact, if you want to go back to around the time of spring practice and, and leading up to G-Day, Kirby Smart was clearly you know articulate about what, what Daniels had done since he'd been in a Georgia uniform and maybe to a degree what there was still left for him to do. Let me let you hear Kirby Smart going back to the spring on that. 
JT's always been about his business. That's JT. JT is very serious. Uh, he's very into it. He has growth he can go through. And for him, continuity is important. And, you know, we haven't had great continuity with this back out, that receiver out, he's out. So we've been ping-ponging guys around. That, that, that That's always tough. But I think he's asserted himself more in terms of command of the offense, get the signal, get the call, hurry up, let's go. Oh, we're too late for this motion. We got to, we got to get into the call. There's a lot of things that help you feel comfortable uh, in terms of being able to call plays. It's an offensive coordinator. He understands those things and does a good job. So that's what uh, Kirby Smart says there about what we've seen thus far from JT Daniels, what you might want to still see, uh, see more of. But as I mentioned before, in the Pro Football Focus article there, you know, big takeaway from Daniels is, ah, maybe that hype needs to be tempered a little bit. Mike Griffith wrote about this at DogNation.com. You can read that story there from him there on that. You can also just check out the story, you know, Pro Football Focus own analysis of this there as well on their website, PFF.com. But the notion of, okay, there's there's hype out there. You know, this is a, you know, a, a highly rated contender for the Heisman Trophy, a potential first round pick but pro football focus says on the basis of what we saw from those four games last year in which daniels played uh maybe that hype needs to be tempered just a little bit so let's do this for a moment if you want to count pro football focus in the category of doubters of jt daniels you know skeptical of jt daniels not quite really ready to believe yet that daniels is among the best quarterbacks in college football because admittedly even if you're a georgia partisan i think you'd have to acknowledge that that four games is not a lot of data now daniels has been the starter uh for a full season at usc i guess you can decide for yourself you know if that's a check and Daniel's favor or not that's not even really all that relevant for me necessarily but in terms of being a Georgia quarterback working with Todd Munkin as offensive coordinator in the situation he's going to be in this year we've only seen Daniels do that for four games so even if you're a Georgia partisan I think you would probably acknowledge that's a little bit of a small sample size but there is potentially some extrapolating that you can do from that we've actually talked about this before and I want to revisit that for a second here right now that to me the easiest way for Daniels to continue on the track Kirby Smart described there in the clip you just heard and to prove doubters skeptics uh those who might be a little un uh, you know those who for whom Daniels hasn't proven himself yet I think the best way for him to avenge all of that is by taking a simple step this season. He just simply needs to throw more touchdown passes. The reason why I say that is, is if you go and look at his stat line for what he did last year in the four games that he was uh, the, the Georgia quarterback, we've actually talked about this before. And if you say, okay, those four games, yeah, you're not playing in Alabama, but you're also not playing like a, a, a McNeese State either. You're playing SEC competition and the top 10 ranked Cincinnati team in a bowl game. So let's use those four games and let's just multiply that out. Let's take that per game average and let's assume a 15 game season for JT Daniels. The truth is, in 15 games would include a national championship game, obviously. The the, the 15-game average of what JT Daniels did through four games a year ago actually from a total passing yard standpoint would put him right there in nice comparison to the very best quarterbacks in college football in recent history the completion percentage is right there with what very good quarterbacks have done in recent years the yards per attempt number right there where it needs to be the one area where Daniels comes up a little bit short and as I said before we've addressed this on previous shows the one area in which Daniels maybe comes up just a little bit short is when it comes to the total touchdown passes Daniels threw 10 
gotten through four games a year ago. If you assume a 15-game schedule, that works out to 37 and a half. You can call it 37. You can call it 38 uh, touchdowns in a 15-game schedule as the Georgia quarterback if you assume college football playoff and national championship game. And even at 38 touchdowns, while that would be very, very good by Georgia standards, you know, essentially the best, you know, touchdown season that that the Georgia program has had that does not really put you in line with what a Mac Jones did last year for Alabama or a you know Joe Burrow did the previous year before that in terms of the very best quarterbacks in recent college football and SEC history you're just simply not throwing enough touchdowns so to me the criticism here of Daniels to the extent that it exists is not necessarily a bad thing I think it allows Georgia Daniels himself to zero in on the target for the upcoming season yes Daniels has been very good at collecting yards and yes Daniels has been very good at leading Georgia teams to a victory uh yes Daniels has clearly emerged as a a focal point quarterback for Georgia here this year and undoubtedly one of the best in the country no matter where he actually ranks in all this list right now but to kind of move up that rank whether you have him right now as 23rd the way the pro football focus has or like second or third the way that some of the you know the all SEC type lists you know are going to kind of have him being in there you know Athlon Sports has him rated very high you know different people have different tastes in all of this but if you'd like to see Daniels move up to number one I don't think you have to look much past that one stat to determine will he get there can you throw more touchdown passes can you get into the 40s can you push that number even higher than that Daniels does then he has a chance to be one of the very best quarterbacks in college football if not the best for this upcoming season now with that said I want to completely shift gears for just a moment and I want to talk about something that is completely one of those things that in a busier time we might not have have much of a chance to address but let's face it we're kind of in that summer moment where we're still waiting on the start of the upcoming season kind of waiting for everything that goes along with that and i think you have a chance to kind of focus in some things you otherwise wouldn't have a chance to focus on so in thinking about what it's going to take for jt daniels to kind of explode offensively the way that you kind of want him to i think one of the things you think about is and you see this come up all the time in some of the preseason chatter related to george and it's the common opinion that seems to exist of well the issue for jt daniels a quarterback or the issue for any of the georgia skill position players in offense is kirby smart going to uh loosen the reins and let this offense do everything that it wants to do i was listening to the radio this morning uh kind of driving in and Laura Rutledge was the ESPN person I was doing an interview and she called Georgia's offense archaic that's kind of the phrase that's out there of well this Georgia offense is just incapable of evolving to look like what the other offenses that have dominated the college football playoff have looked like in recent years and obviously for the most part I agree that Georgia needs big time offensive changes if it wants to win a national championship because I think by now the data on that is pretty clear but I want to take a moment to have kind of a contrarian opinion just for a bit if you don't mind in terms of maybe why Kirby Smart has been a little slower to evolve on this than maybe some of us wish that he would have and some of the national media types who don't necessarily have a dog in the fight or just observers you know they've kind of criticized Kirby for his reluctance on some of this that maybe if you were sitting where Kirby Smart is sits, sits or standing where he stands you might have a tendency to kind of view things much much the same way that he does what what kind of got me thinking about this was so last week we were talking about a lot about the ESPN football power index the FPI data and as I said at the time you can choose if you want to care about analytics or not whether it's FPI or PFF or whatever other acronym we're thinking about here this stuff may matter to you and it may not and you'd entirely possible to be a college football fan and not pay any attention to anything at all that kind of veers in the direction of advanced stats but 
for the sake of conversation, let's just pretend this does matter here for a moment, whether you think it does or not. If you look at the ESPN FBI and the end of year offensive ranking for Georgia over the course of the last few years, it actually tells a fairly interesting story. And to this sense and to the extent that Kirby Smart has made decisions because of what he's seen on the field, maybe some of this data helps explain some of that just a little bit. Let me show you this on the screen for those of you watching on video. This is ESPN FBI, their end of season offensive ranking for Georgia. So in 2016, Smart's first year, many of you remember what a scuffle that was each and every Saturday. Georgia was not a very good team in 2016. An offensive ranking bears that out. They were just 69th in the country, according to ESPN's FBI. But do you realize, and this is a pretty uh, miraculous transformation, I don't really quite know how many teams have made this big a leap in recent years in the, on FBI data like this, but Georgia goes from 69th in 2016 offensively to 5th in 2017. That's an amazing leap. Now, think about why that happened. It wasn't necessarily because of a dynamic passing attack, although Jake Fromm had a pretty good freshman season, but Georgia rarely threw the ball in 2017. Fromm's efficiency numbers were pretty good, but his overall passing numbers weren't very prolific because Georgia didn't throw the ball very much. So Georgia has this incredible offensive transformation from 2016 to 2017, almost solely on its ability to run the ball. They ran the ball much better in 2017 than they had the previous year. Then in 2018, according to ESPN FPI, offensively, they go from fifth to third. So they take another big leap. It's not, it's not a big leap. But once you get into the top five, it's kind of hard to keep moving up that ladder after that. But Georgia does that again. Georgia did throw the ball a little more in 2018, but this was still Elijah Holyfield and, and DeAndre Swift, a very prolific rushing attack. So at this point in time, you're Kirby Smart, you're three years into your coaching career, and you've seen your offense explode, at least statistically speaking, on the basis of a big time rushing attack. So the idea that Smart was hesitant to change after that, well, it kind of makes some sense why that would be the case. But then in 2019 and 2020, the numbers start trending the other direction a little bit. Let me see that one more time just so I can uh, uh, recite that to people. So I'll get the numbers accurate here. In 2019, the numbers go from where Georgia had been 13 third in 2018 now to 22nd in 2019 and then last year just 17th in ESPN FPI's offensive rating but once again as a slight defense against Kirby Smart the great success that Georgia has enjoyed winning the uh, East in 2017 making the college football playoff winning the East in 2018 and really giving Alabama a tough fight in that SEC championship game that great success for Georgia the best seasons of the Kirby Smart era have come when when Georgia had a great rushing attack now I think clearly the sport since 2018 has moved aggressively in the other direction the LSU national championship in 2019 the Bama championship from last year I think helped usher that era in and now it's Georgia's responsibility to get caught up with all of that but in terms of why Smart has made the decisions that he's made, there's a way of looking at some of these stats that makes his thought process and his decision-making on some of this make some sense, even if ultimately it's time to change now. It's a little easier, I think, sometimes to understand why Smart may have been hesitant to do that, just kind of given what's out there. So the overall bottom line is this, is that Georgia sits as one of the obvious national championship contenders for the upcoming season knowing that in recent years it has come close with an offense at the time that was a little more geared towards the run. Now you see offenses that are truly breaking through and winning national championships that are that are obviously a little bit more you know built towards the uh, pass with with mac jones a year ago working with steve sarkeesian and joe burrow working with joe brady and kind of everything that's gone on with that even trevor Lawrence to a degree in 2018 although that offense wasn't quite as prolific as the uh, two sec teams that have won in recent years but the bottom line is georgia is looking to join that club until they do 
there are going to be outlets like Pro Football Focus or whatever other, you know, analytics based thing you're going to, you know, look at that are just going to doubt Georgia until it shows it on the field. It's one of the things that makes this upcoming year really fun, both in terms of the preparation that Georgia's undergoing right now to be ready for that. And for some Georgia fans who've listened to non Georgia fans for quite some time say, see, I told you so. Well, this year may be Georgia's chance to give a big time response to all of that. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, also coming soon. Uh, We'll have our grand opening on the website there, dognation.com, so you can just go to the site and watch the show every day. That's going to be really fun to do. Also, big thanks to uh, those of you who are listening to us on a podcast every day, the Apple Player, the Google Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, lots of ways for you to check in with the show. Our friends on the radio. I love being on the radio in the Classic City each and every day. Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. A ton of fun to uh, be able to do right there as well. It's just really, really great to have all of you with us. Big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. When it comes to foundation waterproofing issues, these are big issues for homeowners. And, you know, we've had kind of a stormy season here the last few days, and that kind of brings for some of you that evidence of the problem, right? You see that water creeping into your garage, your crawl space, or, uh, you know, uh, basement, whatever else, and you know you need to get something done. The good news is, actually, sometimes the fix in all this is not quite as difficult as you might think, especially when it comes to ESOG. They're a solutions-based company. They'll just tell you to go to the hardware store, get whatever you need, but let's face it, sometimes this waterproofing stuff can be a lot more of a a substantial fix, all the more reason to have smart people doing the work for you. Engineered Solutions of Georgia has two full-time engineers on staff, so when it comes to that or those cracks you see in the walls, your foundation lets you know that something may be going on underneath your house in the earth that holds it up well all the more reason to check out my friends at engineered solutions of georgia they're longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily they are uh, proud partners of uga there as well so support those who support us and uga as well give them a call 678 esog now that's 678 esog now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia we'll do a uh, kroger fresh take with connor riley coming up in just a couple of minutes time before that though i want to go around the doghouse here and there is a pretty good race going on right now to be the number one fan favorite among UGA 2022 commits. I think this class has got a lot of personality. I've enjoyed when I say get to know, I don't mean personally, because I don't think I've met any of them personally, but just through the Jeff Sintel interviews, things like that. I've enjoyed getting to know the personality of this 2022 class. Uh, you know, guys like Malachi Starks and Jalen Walker and others just, you know, they, they just, you know, certainly present themselves very well. But a young man who is quickly climb, climbing the ranks right now of, of of being a pretty big fan favorite for this class, I would say, is wide receiver Denial Morissette. And Morissette is doing that, the tried and true Ray of he is just working tirelessly, it would seem, on George's behalf as a recruiter himself. And I think this is really great to see. The latest example of that is Morissette on Twitter making a big push for another four-star receiver, Andre Green. Let me show you this from Morissette on Twitter. He says, Dog Nation, give my boy Andre Green and gives uh, Green's handle a uh, follow and show him some love. He says, hashtag soon to be a dog. Now, certainly we hope that is the case. Those of us who are Georgia fans, Andre Green would be a big get uh, for Georgia. Georgia in this 2022 class and I love the idea that Morissette is pushing him to do just that I will remind you once again that in recent days Jeff Sintel has had a very good article up with Andre Green where Green kind of gave some of his thoughts about Georgia I'll show you here an interesting quote from Green about that 
where he says uh, in the story at dognation.com that there was really a lot to like about Georgia. Everything from the facility, the sports staff, the treatment, et cetera. He says, but the most important thing was the people. Having a great relationship with the coaches and Coach Smart, Coach Hankton, Coach Monken was always the most important thing. But meeting their families and having an interaction made it feel like family. That's Andre Green Jr., uh, as quoted by Dog Nation recently. Now, here's something I think we all know, is that when it comes to recruiting the receiver position, we've seen examples of this, that Georgia has a little bit of a challenge there that maybe it doesn't have at some other uh, positions because other position groups can point to a track record for success that, as we said before, Georgia, the receiver position, doesn't quite have. So 2021 likely could be and certainly possibly will be the year when some of that changes where on the field the Georgia receivers and Georgia's actually recruited the position fairly well the last couple of years even without maybe a lot of statistical proof to sell there. This could be a year where that position really breaks out. Well uh, until that happens until that takes place the kinds of things that Andre Green Jr. describes there and that sort of dog nation would be really important. How well do you craft those relationships? How well do you craft that bond? How much can you make the program have that family feel and that home feel, right? I mean, we know that homesickness is a real thing that recruits deal with. So as Georgia is is under the process of building up its receiver position to give on-field results that act as a commercial for the program that draw great receivers in, as that process is ongoing, the other you know, softer side of recruiting is going to really matter to the receiving position. And clearly, you see Andre Green Jr. talking about that right there. So interesting stuff from Jeff Centel and very interesting stuff from Denia Morissette making his pitch to uh, have Green join him in that Georgia wide receiving core for the uh, class of 2022. So we'll have plenty more to say about that in the uh, days to come. For now, though, here on Dog Nation Daily, let's get ready to dive in on everything going on in the program ahead of SEC Media Days, which comes up in a few days and in the midst of what is kind of a, 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 a big run here for the class of 2022. Let's do all that right now with Connor Riley as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And I welcome back Connor Riley onto the program. Obviously, vacation is important. It's something we very much believe in around here i know i enjoyed taking mine i'm glad to know that connor got a chance to take his there as well connor i trust that you returned tanned rested and ready for the college football season that's still on its way is that fair to say tanned but most importantly not sunburned that's good yeah i was actually talking about this about john stinchcomb yesterday that in my 20s the decade that you're currently in I don't think I spent five dollars on sunscreen that entire decade, and I don't listen. I don't advise anybody else to do that because you need to take care of your skin. But back then, I just didn't. That's just not something that I took all that seriously. But this stage of my life, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good about applying the sunscreen. I also had to be in a wedding this weekend. Shout out to my okay. good friends Taylor and Jillian. That's uh, great. And I was actually in the wedding, so I could not be looking like the idiot that got sunburned in all those wedding pictures. So yeah, that's exactly right. There. Yeah, you got to be really, really careful about all of that. You don't want that to be an issue you there as well well speaking of uh, mission accomplished george has got uh, a mission that it's undertaking right now let me talk some recruiting with you and we'll get some of the other stuff here for a moment so i mean i think clearly we are at a time in which georgia fans are 
probably ready for some big news in the trail. July 22nd, uh, you know, certainly looms with decision day for Branson Robinson and denied Dennis Sutton. And then, you know, obviously whatever's going to happen around that there as as well. June was fun. There were a lot of visits. And certainly there's no reason to believe that Georgia's like behind schedule or anything like that. I just think, you know, that that's, that's ludicrous. No one that I know even really thinks that. But in terms of kind of now ready for the next big thing to come, there's always going to be a little bit of impatience when it comes to recruiting. And Georgia fans, I think, are certainly looking for that July 22nd date to be here and the chance that Georgia adds one, two, or, you know, whatever of more elite prospects into this 2022 class. Yeah. When the recruiting really restarted back on June 1st, Georgia had the number one rec- uh, recruiting class in the country. Do you know where they are right now? I actually don't know. They're ninth. Okay. Yeah. And that's, yeah, so some fans might worry about that. Georgia's not going to finish with the ninth best recruiting class in this cycle. This is clearly, you know, some of the guys Georgia's in on, they're going to take longer times with their decisions. And I think next week, or yeah, and I guess next Thursday, Branson Robinson and Danny Dennis Sutton are yeah. huge targets for this Georgia class. Specifically, I think at two very important positions. Running back, Branson Robinson, I believe, is the number three ranked running back in the country. Uh, Danny Dennis Sutton is a top 75 player as well. The two positions those guys are going to play are probably two of the top need positions that Georgia has in this recruiting cycle and so you land those two guys there all this talk of what's wrong with Georgia's recruiting class or what's wrong with Georgia recruiting right now goes away a little bit as far as the the wide receiver stuff and you know it's my first time on since Kojo and Twee announced he was going to Ohio State you know we talked about this that while there's a lot of excitement around Jermaine Burton Arian Smith Marcus Roseme Jack Saint those guys specifically have to go out and produce this year and show that you can come into a program like Georgia, play early, and put up big numbers. That way you're getting on NFL radars, and that way that third year you're able to go on to the NFL after that. So I think it's a huge year for that. And until Georgia shows that they can do that consistently, they're going to still be lingering questions about wide receiver. So you say a lot then. I want to kind of respond to all of it. First of all, you mentioned Branson Robinson by name. Let me say this about Robinson for a second. To me – you mentioned you know number three running back in the country. This reminds me a lot of when Kendall Milton was a recruit. Was that the class of 2020, I guess? Yes. Um, when, when Kendall Milton was a recruit, whereas Milton for a while was like number four running back. I think he actually finished like number seven or something like yeah. that. But it's almost like the ranking truly didn't matter. You know, we talked a lot about Zach Evans and guys like that for that class, Tang Bigsby. But I didn't know a single Georgia fan that didn't want Kendall Milton more than anybody yeah. else. Like wherever Milton ranked, that was still the running back the Georgia fans kind of wanted more than anybody else and I think the Branson Robbins is very much the same way there may be running backs that technically rank higher and this isn't just like homerism happy talk I mean Georgia fans really really like Branson Robbins and, and they would say that before he's you know made his announcement whatsoever so there may be backs that rank higher but now going on many many months um, Branson Robinson has been the backs name that has dominated the conversation among UGA fans this is one of those moments where the ranking I think two fans truly doesn't matter all that right much. and you actually have to probably go back to Kendall Milton the last time there was sort of a, a running back you know we're going to ignore the Zach Evans saga which right. is a whole separate entity in and of itself but really you know you go back to that Kendall Milton recruitment when that was decided and what that sort of meant and then kickstarting after that I think Branson Robinson could have a potential similar effect on this class mm-hmm. in terms of setting up for a big you know month of August 
uh, early September when games start coming back and really be a key piece of this Georgia recruiting class. And again, you know, the big question mark out of that last recruiting cycle in 2021 for Georgia was where are the skill players, what are they going to look like? Lavasier Carroll's already moved to the defensive side of the ball, and we'll see how long that sticks. Yeah. But it wasn't a great wide receiver class, though you do like what you have in Adonai Mitchell. And we'll see what ends up becoming a Brock Bowers here. But Georgia really needs to land skill players in this class and talented ones and guys that could potentially play right away because there's going to be a lot of quick turnover coming within those positions there. So I think Branson Robinson absolutely checks that box. And if Georgia can land him on July 22nd, I think that's a really good sign for this recruiting class. All right. The other thing you brought up there, and this makes a a good transition into the uh, next topic, kind of what I started the show by saying. And I'm obviously a Georgia fan. I do this show from the perspective of a fan. But I think there is one thing about me that makes me a little different than some fans. When Pro Football Focus only ranks JT Daniels 23rd, or a topic that came up last week, uh, ESPN FBI only rank, and I use air quotes here, only ranking Georgia number five in its preseason ranking, and kind of talking about there being a gap between Georgia and the teams even rated right, right ahead of it. That makes a lot of Georgia fans mad. But, Connor, I truly am not bothered by that all that much because as I pointed out a moment ago that if you're Kirby Smart and you watch the way that your first five years of Georgia coaches unfolded you came very close to winning a national championship doing things a certain way running the ball chopping wood Georgia's offensive performance exploded in 2017 then it got a little bit better after that in 2018 that would be enough for plenty of people maybe even Smart included to say, hey, you know what? The thing I'm comfortable doing, the way I like doing things, it's almost worked. If I just keep doing it this way, it eventually it will break through there as well. So when you have critics, when you have doubters, when you have people saying, ah, George is not capable of making these changes, to me, it's that little thing that potentially lights the fire just enough to get a Georgia coach or maybe even Georgia players out of their comfort zone and move them in the direction you know they need to go. I think in sports, it's just good to have critics to vanquish. It's good to have doubters to shut up. It's good to have bulletin board material. Not the extent that mm-hmm. PFF and FBI are necessarily bulletin board material, but it's just good to have somebody doubting you to give you something to shoot for. So if PFF is doubting JT Daniels, if FPI is to a degree doubting Georgia as a fan, I actually think that's more of a good thing than a bad thing because I think it does potentially put Georgia's focus where it needs to be. I do want to say I did try to tell you guys about pro football focus and and pulling information from there and stats. As far as as Georgia, having watched the games last year, been around this program – I think Kirby Smart, the chief criticism is, you know, the archaic offense and the way that's gone. If you really watch Georgia last year, I think the Todd Munkin hire and specifically the way that went about where James Coley is clearly a well-regarded recruiter, was clearly an asset to this program. And you could have chalked 2019 up to just young receiver core and, and the weirdness there. He went out and made that big hire, brought in Munkin, and I think Munkin is really going to turn things around here. And as you sort of saw last season, and now with a capable quarterback and JT Daniels back there, you know he's not the 23rd best quarterback in the country this right. year. That's that's preposterous. But you know there is room for him to get better. There are certainly things for him to improve on. I think deep field passing is one area, specifically in the accuracy department, that he can really stand to make a few strides in. And if he does that, Georgia's easily going to move up from what the 17th best offense. Now the ultimate question that I I have with this team at the end of the day is you know yes LSU and Alabama historically great offenses but is that what you need to win now can you go from say 17th to fifth where Georgia was in 2018 and win a national title or do you have to get all the way up to one because I think Georgia pretty easily if if things click and go right and JT makes the improvements off of what we saw at the end of last season they can get to fifth 
But getting to first, that's going to be a real challenge, I think. And if that's what's needed to win a national title, again, is that the thing? Or is it just Alabama and LSU these last two years were two historic one-offs? So I think you brought this up before, and I think it's a really interesting conversation. And to me, there's a very interesting parallel in college football right now. A lot of people don't realize this, but Oklahoma last season played much better defense they've ever played before. Mm -hmm. This is a team that has been great on offense, but defensively not good enough to win a national championship. Last year, once Oklahoma was kind of removed from the Big 12 title race, they started playing much better defense. They sacked quarterbacks. You know, they bring in Alex Grinch as a coordinator, and all of a sudden he's actually starting to you know to look like a uh, you know a much better player. When I say remove the title race, I mean remove the playoff race, whatever yeah. I mean. Um, when they, when they were removing the playoff race, they started playing much much better defense, um, uh, sacking quarterbacks, things like that. And so what what you're saying that kind of brings to mind for me is it's like for a Georgia team that we think is probably going to be pretty good on defense, how much offense is enough? Oklahoma has a very similar parallel, except it's like the inverse. For a team that we know should score a lot of points, because Oklahoma always does, how much how much defense is going to be enough, and can they take that next step defensively the way that it hinted near the end of last season they might be taken? Very interesting contrasting parallel when it comes to Georgia and Oklahoma on that. And it all depends on, as you pointed out before, that – the offensive explosion in college football is either going to continue like a runaway train or like a lot of trends, eventually it kind of reverses course. There's reason to believe at Alabama this year, after scoring 48 points a game a year ago, that they may be due for a little bit of a regression towards the mean, given the fact that it's a first-year starter quarterback who is inexperienced, young guy. Uh, the Heisman Trophy winner has gone off last year's roster. A, you know, a high-level running back like Najee Harris, he's gone off last year's roster. There is some chatter coming out of Alabama over the course of the last couple of days. They may be looking to run the ball more at the beginning of the season, and they certainly did during the Steve Sarkeesian era. So if you want to go back to 2017, I don't think any – uh, you know, of, of the playoff teams averaged 40 points a game that year. I don't maybe think. Maybe Oklahoma did. Maybe Oklahoma would have, but Georgia and Alabama did not average 40 Clemson points. certainly yeah, did. Yeah, did not for the, for the season. But so it's, it's really like 2018, 2019, 2020 that the college football playoff has been filled with these teams that had Oklahoma style offenses. Clearly, Oklahoma was one of those in 2017. By 2018, almost every team in the playoffs is like a 40 plus point per game offense. So one of two th- things would seem to be true. Either college football is about to regress back down just a little bit to a little bit more of a sensible offensive output, or Georgia's going to have to put its pedal to the metal the same way that Bama and LSU have in recent years in order to be able to get it done. Which do you think it is? I hate to split the baby here, but but, but probably a little bit of both. Do I think the national champion this year averaged 50 points a game, which is what it would almost take to be better than Alabama a year ago? No. I don't think that much, but I also don't think the national champion this year is averaging 38 points a game either. I think it's somewhere in that sort of 42 to 45 range. You know, we'll, we may never see a single season performance from a guy like, say, Joe Burrow, who threw, what, 60, 70? 60. Yeah, touchdown passes, but... Um, but I do believe, as I said in the opening segment, uh, for JT Daniels to be a national championship level quarterback, he's got to throw more than the 38 he might be projected to throw. He's got to throw in the 40s, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines. That's just where the sport, I think, has been elevated to. Right. The JT Daniels can't be the 23rd best quarterback in the country yeah. this year because if that's the case, Georgia's going to lose in the SEC championship once again. And for Georgia, the, the big thing with Georgia and their national media thing and the critics and whatnot. Their biggest crime is that they lose to Alabama or in 2019 LSU, the, the, the best team in the country in the SEC championship game. 
Oklahoma, weirdly, who hasn't won a playoff game yet, has gotten more often than not blown out in those college football playoff games, including blowing a 17-point lead to Georgia in the 2018 Rose Bowl. They just get to lose to Alabama or LSU or Georgia a week later. And it's very interesting, the discussion that happens around Georgia, and maybe it's just because we're hypersensitive to it because we're in it day in, day out. Whereas Oklahoma, you know, there are none of those real big questions about it. Maybe it's just because it's easier to believe in an offense, especially with the way that 2019 and 2020 played out with LSU and Alabama. Whereas with Georgia, until you see it with that offense, you're going to have questions. For Oklahoma, me personally, I, I – I don't really care how good you are in terms of sacks and all those numbers against Big 12 competition until you prove to me that you can hang on the lines of scrimmage with the big SEC programs. I'm still going to have major questions about it. Whereas I think with Georgia, I, I think you look at the wide receiver they talent they have in terms of recruiting rankings and, and potential that they have there, and then what JT Daniels has done in a small sample size in 20 in 2020. I think there's a more real chance that Georgia is closer to making that next big step to joining that big tier than Oklahoma is. But yeah, I think it's an interesting point. You're also bringing up something else that kind of raises a thought in my mind that you can make a case that the worst losses of the Kirby Smart era were not to Alabama. Those were maybe the most disappointing losses. But in the 2017 National Championship game, it looked like a fair fight. Georgia just lost. Now they lost heartbreaking fashion late, but it was still kind of a fair fight that Georgia lost. The 2018 SEC Championship, much the same way. You can kind of like, you know, point to whatever you want to from the game. And if this gone differently, then blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, it sort of looked like a fair fight. Georgia had a game plan based on what it had done well that year. And it almost worked. Georgia almost won. They just, you know, happened to lose. The worst losses of the Kirby Smart era have not come to Alabama. They've come to LSU. Yep. Georgia was, and I hate to say it this way because it sounds like I'm, I'm trolling UGA fans. Georgia got outclassed in Baton Rouge in 2018. Both times. They've got, like, they, those games, we were on the sideline for both those games. Neither one of them are close. Yeah. It, it, in the 2018 loss at Baton Rouge and then the 2019 SEC championship game, Georgia was a fairly significant underdog, but still to see it play out that way. There appeared to be this gap between the two programs. And so I think the thing that pressures Georgia to make offensive changes is actually not what it's done against Alabama, because Mm -hmm. that style almost worked twice against very, very good Alabama teams. The thing that pressures Georgia to make changes was once LSU made a defensive adjustment in 2018, Georgia could not run the ball anymore, just could not. And in 2019, the the gap between those two teams just seemed like a chasm. It's the games against Ed Orgeron that actually proves Georgia needs to make offensive changes more than either of the – the, you know the, the 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 games against uh you know Nick Saban back kind of in those early days for Kirby Small. They, I believe they scored what ten, or they had 16 points but one of those touchdowns came in garbage time in that 2018 mm-hmm. game and then 10 points in that 2019 game again I and, and I, I I that press conference that Kirby Smart yeah. gave after that LSU game in 2019 I I think was point blank him the the come to Jesus moment if you will with him of yeah I just gotta we just gotta blow this up on offense we have to change this and you know the man ball thing came into con- yeah. to question that day he was like yeah uh, that that's the closest year I think you're ever gonna hear him saying yeah I, I the way I thought I could win was wrong and mm-hmm. we have to change that fundamentally going forward and I think what you have seen since then has dictated that and yeah. i think it's going to play out on the field in 2021 no, I, I think i think exactly right let, let me talk about one more thing real quick before we uh let you go obviously we're heading up towards sec media days there as well i think a lot of georgia fans are at because i've had this come up in our comment section a few times they're looking forward to hopefully getting an update on dominic blaylock it seems like that front has been a little bit more quiet than say like the marcus rosemary jacks ain't where it feels like we're getting fairly steady good news but his injury progress i'm not saying that 
please hear me on this. I'm not saying that anyway that Blaylock's injury recovery is behind Rosemi Jackson. Yeah. It's just been a little bit more quiet. Um, so I think we're hopeful to get an update on that from Kirby Smart next week. What else are you kind of hopeful to hear from from Kirby? And what do you think Georgia fans should have their ear pointed up for when he does speak in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Hoover, Alabama, in an event we didn't have last year? I'll go with another wide receiver. I'll be interested where he has to say about Eric Gilbert. This okay. is a guy. This is probably the, this is the first time he's ever really been allowed to comment on him and. and following his recruitment knowing you know how georgia feels about him that's a guy they've wanted for a long time and so i'll be interested to see what kirby really has to say on the record about a player like this a guy he's pretty clearly wanted for a long time i don't know how much this is interesting to fans but i'd be interested to see what kirby smart has to say about nil and yeah, me too. and because you know he i i think kirby while he has gone out and taken advantage of the transfer portal changes i think we can fairly say he's not necessarily in favor of college football making this change it'll be interested to see what he has to say about nil and specifically how georgia is going to have to use that as an advantage to try and help itself because the best teams that do that i think are going to absolutely benefit and become better you look at a program like miami i think they're uniquely positioned being in that city and, and sort of having the big pocket boosters that they have maybe they can now take advantage of that and be back whatever that means for them i'll be interested to see what he has to say about that and that's probably those those are the two big things to me anyway reek gilbert and nil nil well let me ask this about nil for a second Mm -hmm. because here's what i think i see happening around the country like recruits are quietly being told hey come here build your brand come here make money but correct me if i'm wrong we have not really heard a coach publicly say hey we want our school to be like the flagship for nil we want this right. to be the place that embraces nil more than any other saban's had a chance to do that hasn't really done that kirby smart hasn't really talked at all so we don't really know quite what he's gonna say about that yet yeah. do you think any sec coach next week says listen i want my players talking to every street agent they can and making every dollar they can do you think anybody really really embraces it from the podium i mean quietly they're telling recruits that you can come here and make money but in terms of publicly putting themselves on the side of yeah we want we want as much nil actions we can get does anybody publicly say that next week probably not because i think there are a lot of parties that want a a level playing field Mm -hmm. this is getting way in the weeds here but they want national federal legislation federal rules essentially so that everyone is playing on the same guidelines there and Maybe that happens at some point. The NCAA pretty clearly has said we're not capable of doing this, and you know they're asking Congress to help them out. So I don't think so because I think so many of these coaches probably want a level playing field, or they want something where they know, all right, everyone is playing by the same rules, and from that point forward, we can take advantage of this because what might be true for Florida is obviously different from Georgia with its own state laws there. All right, last thing, what else from the rest of the league? Um, you know, it's been kind of quieter on the SEC as of late. There's not been a, a ton of uh, headlines one way or another from this league last couple of weeks. Who do you think makes a big headline next week, if at all? I think the interesting thing, I'll be interested to see who people think is the second best team in the SEC West. I think that it's going to be A&M, but I could see it being LSU. I could see it being Ole Miss. I think there'll be some real intrigue out of that talk around that and i'll be interested to see what comes out of florida because yeah. dan mullen you know obviously 2020 made a lot of headlines both some good some very not so good and this is going to be a really interesting year for them in terms of what they do obviously emory jones the offense is going to have to look totally different if, if they're going to try and maximize emory jones's skill set and it's going to be interesting to see okay is florida in a place where they can compete with georgia on a, on a year in year out basis or 
was 2020 sort of a perfect storm of events where they had a historically great offense, historically great players in it, and they caught Georgia at a bad time with their quarterback situation. So I think that, to me, is going to be something I'm sort of following outside of the own Georgia bubble. Hang with me on Florida for one second, because I want to ask you one more thing about that. First, I remind you, this is a Kroger Fresh take uh, here today. And don't forget, if you check out this website, Kroger.com slash school, that website, once again, Kroger.com slash school, you can find out all about back-to-school savings there at Kroger, whether it's notebooks, lunchboxes, the stuff to put in the lunchbox, all the school supplies, all the way around there. Kroger's got big-time savings on that, book bags there as well, in-store and online. As I said before, Kroger.com slash school to find out more about that. Also, please check out the website, dognature.com. We're doing our Kroger five-star kids giveaway right now. Uh, we're going to be announcing those uh, pretty soon. If you go to info at dognation.com to submit or dognation.com to learn more about this, we've got a collection of gift cards. It's worth like $250. They're going to be giving away. There's five of these. We've also got Dog Nation Kroger Five Star Kids T-shirts. They're going to be giving away there as as well to a number of folks. So please check that out at online dognation.com or submit your entry at Kroger Dog. Uh, excuse me, at info at dognation.com. You can be one of our Kroger five-star kid winners. You can nominate your child for that. So I asked this to Jeff the other day. He gave an interesting answer. I'll give you a chance to say this too as well, Connor. Interesting year for Dan only a year ago. Wins the East, uh, comes close against Florida, but also loses final three games of the year and loses four overall. Weird stuff off the field, show cause penalty from the NCAA. When Dan Mullen speaks in a big room next week, do you think majority meaning 51 percent or more the majority of those questions are positive or negative probably negative that's I, interesting I, I think dan mullen now granted he is also i believe now the third highest paid coach in the sec more than jimbo fisher even though he does not have a national title uh, he's got a lot of questions i don't think that well yes on the field beating georgia was great he had a lot of bad headlines last year and and said some stuff and did some things that weren't great and then the bowl performance i think was just totally disgraceful and a yeah. disservice to the players specifically on both florida but also at, at oklahoma you know if you were going to do that then why even bother showing up so i i think it's going to be really interesting and while dan will improved i think a lot in some regards in 2020 he's still got a ton of questions around him entering this 2021 season and they play alabama week three they play georgia they play lsu it's not necessarily an easy schedule, and you wonder if, if they go eight and four again. A, a certainly very real possibility, I think. You wonder what next season potentially looks like, because uh, unless the wheels just completely fall off, Dan Mullen is going to be there, and I'm sure he has a lucrative buyout that keeps him there. Sure, but the the waters aren't exactly great right now for Dan Mullen, and how this season plays out as as big as last season was for Dan Mullen, this season is somehow even bigger for him and what he has to go out and prove and show that he is turning this Florida program into. Connor, great stuff. It's good to have you back. We'll look forward to uh, reading a bunch from you at dognation.com also in the days ahead there as well. Yep, as always, was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So this is where I'm going to kind of, you know, zig when everybody else is zagging on this. We said this on the show on Friday. Like, I'm the ultimate Gator hater. We have such a good time with Gator hater stuff. But I actually don't like the idea. And, and I am nothing, I guess, if not consistent. Much the same way a moment ago I said, hey, I don't mind pro football focus taking a jab at JT Daniels to the extent that they actually did. I don't mind ESPN FPI raising questions about Georgia. I like the idea of Georgia having some critics to vanquish. So if I believe that's true on the side for Georgia, as I said, I believe it was on Friday show last week, I don't like the idea of of Dan Mullen meeting more criticism than praise for a year in which he won the SEC East. The way that I think there's at least a couple of, you know, relatively respected media personalities that have had Florida outside their preseason top 25. 
you know, I, I don't want to see Florida get that uh, nobody believes in us type steam heading towards the upcoming season. I think we're dangerously close to Florida being slightly underrated, given the fact they're like fifth or sixth and, you know, Bud Elliott blue chip ratio, 11th in preseason FPI, you know, you know, total across the board. I think you just got to be really, really careful with that all the uh, way around. And uh, obviously, we'll see how all this plays out when SEC Media Days comes up. We'll have a lot of coverage from Dog Nation and SEC Country Live in regards to all of that. Before we move on to the rest of our SEC, there, let me also remind you, my friends at Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Obviously, uh, Bob Tharp, one of the great partners there, and his wife, Ash, are going to be with us for Dog Nation Invasion to Charlotte. We're really looking forward to that. That's going to be a ton of fun. And they can also uh, be right there for you and advocate by your side as you go through the divorce process. That's obviously a lot less of a fun conversation, but it is a reality. And sometimes dealing with reality is important. And setting yourself up for more fun in the future, obviously, that's a critical decision there as well. That's why having someone walk with you through the divorce process is so important. So please find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That is theatlantadivorceteam.com. I want to talk more about these PFF quarterback rankings in a moment. Before that, though, I do want to mention one SEC story. I always like to follow up on stories that we've covered previously. Makes me feel like a news anchor. So um, here's a story we've covered previously for you. Caden Salter, the Tennessee quarterback signing, he had a couple of brushes with the law while in Knoxville. That gives him a short-lived tenure there with the Vols. He has now, after announcing it, he was, not, he was dismissed from the Tennessee program and has now, according to Matt Zenitz, who now works for the uh, online site On3, he has, I guess, found a new home. Zenitz reporting that Salter is on his way to Liberty. I think that Liberty is a very interesting brand here. If you want to consider Lynchburg, Virginia to be the South, I think that uh, that Liberty is a very interesting brand here for a moment. Hugh Freeze obviously coached there, and it kind of remains to be seen how much longer Freeze has to wait before he's able to be hired in the SEC again. But until that happens, if it ever does happen, Liberty becomes an interesting landing spot for previous SEC players, especially the quarterback spot. You know, Malik Willis was kind of biding his time there at Auburn, decided that was never going to work out for him. Uh, finished no higher than third in the quarterback competition a couple of years ago that resulted in Bo Nix becoming starter. And all of a sudden now Malik Willis is, is really commonly mentioned among the very best quarterbacks in college football working with Hugh Freeze there at Liberty. You wonder for Caden Salter, who is at least a good enough prospect to have signed a scholarship at Tennessee, which means that he has you know some raw materials that he brings to the table. All of a sudden now, does he have a better outlook of putting up stats in a Hugh Freeze offense than he would have in a Josh Heupel offense? There's reason to believe that eventually, if he gets a chance to play that spot, he might indeed you know be able to do just that. I'm not saying he's going to light the world on fire. I'm just saying for quarterbacks who find, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess an unhappy home in the SEC. Hugh Freeze up there in Lynchburg might not be a uh, bad place to consider, at least based on how it seems to be working out for Malik Willis right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, as we mentioned before, Pro Football Focus putting on its list of top quarterbacks in college football. JT Daniels, only 23rd on that list. I agree with what Connor Riley said a moment ago. He's clearly higher than that. It's just a matter of how high. All this, of course, based on uh, PFS on film evaluation so do with that what you will. Interesting though that the highest rated quarterback in the SEC overall is just number 6 on this list after guys like Mac Jones and Joe Burrow would have obviously dominated the list in previous years. Matt Corral just 6th on the list. If I could short the Ole Miss stock right now I absolutely would do that. I think people are expecting fireworks from Lane Kiffin next week at SEC Media Days. I don't think you're going to get it. You know, Kiffin's one of those guys that's just not as dynamic in person as he is on Twitter. And for those who expect 
Ole Miss to be this team that shakes it up in the SEC West this year. I also just don't really buy into that really either. I think you've got to be able to play some defense to be able to do that in this league. I don't believe Ole Miss is going to. And when it comes to you know other kind of you know dynamic offenses, you've got to have more than 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 just that. I agree with what some of those in our audience have said. On a, on a one-game basis, Ole Miss can be dangerous. They were against Alabama a year ago. But doing it for a full season is a lot more difficult. But I guess more love here from Matt Corral. You've got Colt Brennan coming in. Uh, not, not Colt Brennan. Uh, Miles Brennan coming in here at, at number nine. And as I said before, I don't even think Miles Brennan is going to be the starting quarterback at LSU. So we'll laugh that off and move on. Uh, Emory Jones coming in at number 14. Uh, obviously, Florida fans want Jones in that comparison that conversation for best quarterback in the sec they saw what mullen did with kyle trask a year ago it'll be a little bit of a of an opportunity for mullen to showcase his quarterback whispering skills again this year i do think connor basilek the missouri quarterback coming in here at number 15 is kind of interesting the sec east below what you think of as the clear number one georgia the likely number two florida gets really interesting you know Kentucky strong on the line of scrimmage before you even add a guy like Adair Rosenthal moving into the program from LSU expecting to be good on defense again before you even add a Jock West Jones the linebacker coming in from Ole Miss obviously you know Missouri's kind of right there as well one of the surprise teams in this league a year ago going five and five getting some big wins at home and you know talk about personality what people think Lane Kiffin is as a personality I believe that Eli Drinkwitz might actually be he looks like you know uh uh, you know a middle school principal but the fact of the matter is he says some funny things has a little bit of a a, a quirkiness to him i actually think that that drinkwitz may perform well next week at sec media days and you know if if Basilic plays this year as well as some think that he can all of a sudden missouri becomes a little bit more of an interesting team in the sec especially with new coaches at vanderbilt south carolina and tennessee those are some opportunities for the uh, tigers to feast on there and don't forget that missouri game for georgia does loom the week after florida there as well georgia will be a big favorite against the tigers after beating them badly on the road a year ago but if you're kind of looking for that potential air quotes here trap game for georgia missouri the week after florida may be a little bit of an example of that so some interesting quarterbacks in the sec uh worth paying attention to here for this upcoming season and uh certainly a lot of this will obviously play itself out on the field later on this fall we'll make that your sec through it's a little bit of a long one today, uh, but fun stuff all the way around. We appreciate you being here. And, of course, we like to close the show with our golden shoe. A lot of times it's our Gator Hater roll call. We talk about Georgia fans who've shown off some Gator Hater credentials, and then some days it's just sort of whatever you want it to be. An example of that today, Georgia welcoming back DeAndre Walker, who talk about, you know, a very impressive stat line that gets overlooked. Go back and look at the stats that Walker did for Georgia back in uh, 2017. Uh, amazing and kind of that situational pass rush role. So obviously he's one of the great dogs in the Kirby Smart era. Now back, it says hired by the UGA Athletic Association. I guess we'll find out in the days ahead a little bit more about you know what Walker's role is actually going to be. But uh, he is a DGD in every sense of the word. And being back on campus at the University of Georgia can't be a bad thing. So congratulations to DeAndre Walker on that. You're our golden shoe winner for today. And speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, how about a Gator Hater countdown? Uh, Georgia goes to Jacksonville October 30. That is just 100 and how many? Uh, nine days away. Georgia getting that win there then. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by uh, Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We are not going to go really long with this because the show today was... <laughs>
It's a little bit of an epic, and I don't really quite intend for it to be, uh, but it turned out to be that way. So we'll do kind of shorter on this just a bit, although I do want you to check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. And it's kind of funny, Duke Duke writes into the comment section of dognation.com asking a question that we kind of addressed during the show today, although I had not really planned on this you know, dovetailing with Duke Duke's comment. It just kind of worked out that way about who's the bigger threat in the SEC East this year. Is it Kentucky or is it Missouri? And we talked about Missouri a little bit. You know, I think with uh, Baselick, the quarterback, working with Drinkwitz, the coach, who I do think demonstrated some competency last year. I think Missouri is a fairly interesting team. Now, I don't know that they're a threat to Georgia necessarily, because if they were, it seems like they would have been in Columbia last year. Missouri got a lot of wins at home last season, and Georgia obviously handled them in December late in the year. So my assumption is there's still a fairly significant gap between Georgia and Missouri for the upcoming year, even though it kind of falls in kind of like trap game type territory the week after Florida for UGA. My assumption is Georgia's fine against Missouri, but as far as Missouri a threat to the rest of the SEC East, and the comparison between Kentucky here in particular, I think it's kind of interesting. I've kind of been operating under the assumption that Joey Gatewood was likely to be the starting quarterback for Kentucky and potentially a dangerous quarterback in that, in that he earned some buzz while he was working in a backup role there at Auburn. I guess, however, there's been some talk about another Kentucky quarterback as of late. I think it's a Penn State transfer, I guess, a little bit. I'm sure we'll hear more about him maybe next week. So there's still a little bit of an unsettled situation for Kentucky at quarterback. They do expect to be really good along the offensive line. And obviously, you know, Mark Stoops' team, you typically expect to be very good defensively. Reasonably, that's true for Kentucky here again this year there as well. So I believe I might go slightly Missouri ahead of Kentucky in terms of that side-by-side comparison, but there's going to be some argument made for the Wildcats, especially given the fact they're about to run the football pretty well, and uh, so that could end up being kind of an interesting battle, and while I... I'm going to contradict myself just a little bit, so let me let me try not to talk out of both sides of my mouth too much, but let me at least put this out in the universe. While on the show a couple of times, I have rejected the notion that... Um, some of the people that have completely excluded Florida from their top 25, I think that's that's certainly what I wish was true, but I'm not quite so sure we actually get there with that this season. I think that Florida's dangerously close to being underrated by some in the media. There is at least a possibility that a team like Kentucky or Missouri, I think this at least is worth considering, either a Kentucky or a Missouri could actually be better than Florida. I really don't see that many scenarios imaginable where Georgia doesn't win the SEC East. It's just a matter of how much of a true national championship contender they are. I think it'd it'd be just a disastrous season for Georgia if it somehow didn't win the SEC East. But I do think there's at least a little bit of mystery of, as a number two team, how close is Florida to Georgia and how much does Florida separate itself from the rest of the SEC East. And I would say there's at least a little bit of a possibility that either Kentucky or Missouri, one of those two could be better than Florida. We've seen both Missouri and Kentucky beat Florida in recent seasons. And there's at least a possibility that one of those two could be better than Florida. I don't really see either as a threat to Georgia. I mean, the Georgia game in Lexington last year was fairly close, but for the most part, uh, I never really thought Kentucky had much of a chance of winning that game. It was just mostly an unimpressive game by what was at the time a little bit of a scuffling Georgia offense. I think it's a really good question, though. Much the same way you'll say that matchup between Kentucky and Missouri is a really interesting comparison between those two. I think you'd also say the same thing about, like, say, a Tennessee matched up against a South Carolina. Two similar programs, both first-year coaches, both looking to reboot you know, kind of failed administrations previous to that, you know, what happens in that head-to-head game? 
I'm obviously one of those guys that just cares a lot about SEC football. I don't think the average person's like, boy, I can't wait to watch Tennessee play South Carolina. But for me, that's a really interesting game. And I think Kentucky-Missouri is kind of very much the same way. Really good question there from Duke Duke. We're going to wrap up our cool down with that. Thanks for being here for it. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. R.S. Andrews, of course, part of our Dog Nation invasion coming up there as well. So y'all check them out online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. And, of course, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG. We'll look forward to seeing you then.